Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. Fired up to welcome all of you to the Philosophy Podcast in-season edition. We're going live, me and AT, talking about the week's worth of games. Um, and it's during the, um, AT, this is uh, the virtual lacrosse summit week. It's kind of like shark week for lacrosse, except we do it Excellent. four times a year, except just in August. Um, and uh, yeah, so I figure we'll just do what we normally do and just uh, bullshit about lacrosse and, and um, talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, tell some stories. And this podcast is brought to you by Oxiatime, uh, oxiatime.com, uh, a great timepiece. Would you say, Andy? I would. I, lo- I, I love Shark Week. Um, we, we put a pool in two years ago and my, yeah. Wife, yeah, my wife bought a, a fin life preserver <laughs> for our dog, Frank Towers with a C. And um, at first I can tell he was really embarrassed about being in it. And then I think as some of the neighborhood animals, squirrels and dogs and birds saw him in it, I think his confidence began to swell. And um, he actually felt better about one day, it. One day I thought I heard him telling shark, a couple of squirrels that he really was a shark. And I didn't want to like, I didn't want to bust his rap, but I was like behind his shoulder being like, no, he's not a shark. He's not a shark. <laughs> squirrels gave him a wink and ran The squirrels off. completely buy into it though. Yeah, well, they're squirrels. Yeah, they're not that, they're not that smart. Nah. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. Um, all right. Well, it's a pretty good week of lacrosse. Um, I got some games. Uh, we got our games to chat about, and I got some video highlights too. So um, let's um, let's start off. I'm going to roll some of this video as we're going here. But um, what do you think about just starting off talking about this game right here? Um, the uh, Notre Dame Cornell was a huge game for Cornell uh, to be able. They really needed to win this game to give themselves an at-large chance. Um, what were your thoughts on this game? Well, you and I discussed this game and, and, you know, I felt that I feel that the loser of this game is really not going to be in a position to get an at-large berth. You know, does Notre Dame come back? Well, they come back and they beat Carolina and then they play Duke in the ACC. They still have enough opportunities to get an at-large berth, but this really puts a lot of pressure on Notre Dame. Um, you know, I was so impressed with your boy, Charles Leonard. I mean, yeah. eating snot out of Cornell at the faceoff X, the way that he did. I mean, he's, he's become better as a college player than he was as a high school player against obviously way better talent. And it's really impressive to watch. He just has a sort of a, a quiet will to win and a mentality that 
if you think you're tough, I'm tougher than you. If you think I'm, you're strong, I'm stronger than you. And I just feel like this kid is going to be a dominating force for his entire career at Notre Dame. And he just seems to make big plays at big times. With all of that said, Notre Dame just doesn't seem like they are a very scary team at all on the offensive end. And while they've scored some big goals and had some great surges at times over the course of the season, they're not a team that I look at and think they're a real threat to get to, you know, 13 goals. And I just don't think that they're, goaltending is good enough for them to beat good teams and offset what I would consider, you know, an offensive team that relies too heavily on too few guys. So I was shocked. I thought Notre Dame would win this game, particularly after um, Cornell didn't look good against Syracuse. Yeah. They got handled. They got handled, but you know what? Listen, Notre Dame crushes the face-off X, and Cornell gets 17 saves out of their goalie, and you marry that up with Notre Dame's offense not being that scary, and there you go. You got a two-goal loss at home at a critical, critical game in mid-April. This game, this game is, is, is going to be a calling card for Notre Dame. You know, how are they going to respond? Because they're, they're on their heels right now. Yeah, well, Notre Dame. I mean, I, I mean, if they if they can um, win a couple games in the in the ACC tournament, um, and they can't. I mean, let's face it. You know, it it wouldn't surprise any of us, Jamie, if they went out and won the Ivy or the the ACC championship. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I, I think any five of those teams could win it on yeah. any given day. You get hot at the right time. You know, who knows? Maybe this is what they need. Um, you know, as as you know, the slap in the face to, to come back and, and, and rebound and play their best lacrosse. You know the staff is going to put together a plan. You know, they got to go out. They got to hit the shots. Um, but Speaking of hitting shots, look at this one right here. <laughs> That's Jeff T. With That's really impressive. I mean, that is so hard to do. No cradles, pretty much a quick stick, screenshot, low to high. Yep. He's, yeah, he's gifted. But it's, it's kind of strange, too. It looked like, I mean, Cornell's getting to the goal without, without slides. And normally Notre Dame is just so good about, about sliding, you know. And yeah. um, I know that Jerry, early in the year, was so excited about how his defense was communicating here. Well, um, I think if you looked at the way Syracuse played Cornell, I, I think you could look at that game and say, who really scares you on Cornell? I mean, we all know Jeff Teets, an unbelievable talent. But he's not really somebody that you flip the ball to and say, no, no, he's not. And and so while they may have some players that they think are those players, I don't think on a consistent basis those players have shown that they are. It's not like they're flipping the ball to Brian Costabile, you know, or Gleason, or, or, you know, I'd take those two guys balling their stick over anybody that Cornell has with 10 seconds left, go get us a goal to win the game. Yeah. And I think that given Cornell's ineptitude at the face-off X and the fact that defensively they aren't very dynamic at all with the exception of Salvatore, you know, in the middle of the field, you know, it's, it's a team that, that could be great that we feel like, you know, plays a unique style of offense, but 
are missing some key components to really be a team that is a threat to push for the national championship. And I thought they were capable of that. I, you know, I, I felt like this is a team that, hey, you know, we were going to have to really watch out for. But to be honest, they've had a very disappointing spring. Yeah. Well, a huge win for Ohio State here. Let's take a look at this one. This was incredible. I mean, I got to be honest, I was watching the Masters and I was watching this on my computer. I had, I had this game going on my computer with the Cornell Notre Dame game going on the computer and I was watching the Masters. And so I was, you know, spread uh, a little thin in all three areas for that matter. But how about the fact that Hopkins seems to be playing the best lacrosse of their year in the first, you know, half. They go up, I think, I think they were up 8-2 and it looked like, Ohio State was dead in the water, and all I can think about was you and I on my podcast and me saying that Hopkins would really like this win, but Ohio State is playing for their lives here. And I thought, well, I was wrong on that one. And sure enough, you know, back comes Ohio State, and they needed it, and they got it. I mean, what a W for Ohio State at Homewood, you know, after, after digging themselves such a hole. I was really impressed with Tarafenko in 34. Is that 34, Tarafenko? That's 35. 30, no, 35 is not, not Tarafenko. Number 34. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about the guy on the break there. He's yeah, so awesome. Wow, he's he impressive, man. Yeah, no doubt. Well, their backs are against the wall. Um, you know, it, it's such a dogfight in, in the Big Ten. It's insane. I mean, they're really, you know, I mean – it, it's there's going to be a really sad team that's going to get left out of that of that um, Big Ten tournament, and uh, it's a team again that's going to be like you know playoff caliber team that's going to be probably left out of that tournament and left out of the dance, you know unless maybe it's coming down now to only two of Hopkins, Ohio State, and Rutgers are going to make it. Yeah, and right. uh, do we have? I mean Hopkins. Let's face it, they've got the toughest road with Penn State and Maryland yet to go. Um, you know, I think we obviously feel that Penn State and Maryland are safe. Uh, you know, obviously, I'd have to say Ohio State is probably sitting in a pretty good spot here. Um, you got to be concerned about Hopkins because while they have a win over Rutgers and a win over Michigan, um, you know, they, with Penn State and Maryland still to go, they're not, they're not sitting in a great spot. <laughs> well, especially with the tiebreaker, right? So, I mean, I think, like, when you look at it, you got, um, you know, they, they, they have the win over Rutgers, but, you know, so Rutgers has a tiebreaker over Ohio State, but Ohio State has a tiebreaker over Hopkins. Hopkins has, what, two wins, and they've got two really tough games to go. And yeah. now Ohio State has one win, and uh, right, they got one win. They still have they, Michigan, though. Michigan left, and then they have uh, Maryland left, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 going to be tough. The, the, the come down to three teams out. and tiebreakers. It's, that's what it's going to come down to. Pretty yeah. sure, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so, any uh, closing thoughts on that game? Uh, no, just uh, you know, just echo your sentiment. The Big Ten is just it's. It is just a bloodbath, particularly in the middle of the conference. All right, what do you think? Of, what were your thoughts about this game? I actually picked UMass in this game. And part of the reason I picked UMass was because they lost a heartbreaker at Hofstra last Saturday. And they're eight and four. I think I 
put him in my top 20 at, uh, at 20 this week. And the reason I did it is because they had a bad loss to Hofstra, which is a good team that just hasn't had a good season. You know, Hofstra themselves have, has had a couple of big wins, but you know, this is the first top 20 win that UMass has. And I wasn't surprised to see them come back and play their best game against Towson. You know, Towson seems like they're on their heels a little bit while they have a great win over Loyola and they had a good win over Hopkins. Um, you know, whether or not that Hopkins win ends up counting as sort of a, you know, a quality win or not, I don't know. I, I think Hopkins is going to have to beat one of those last two teams if they play in Penn State, Maryland, for that Towson win over Hopkins to count. And outside yep. of that, the only one they have is Loyola. And unless Carolina can win, and then Hopkins will benefit from that too. Yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously those uh, you know those connections. There's a there's a few different teams like that that keep toggling in and out of the top twenty, and they keep moving my top twenty all over the place. You know, Rutgers. If Rutgers has held, had held on in one and, and beaten. Maryland, after getting off to a great start, now all of a sudden, you know, Hopkins win over Rutgers means more and, and a win over Hopkins means more. And, you know, that was just such a huge win for Ohio State, you know, on a few different levels for them to come back and beat Hopkins. Um, you know, but that's a, that's a team that goes in and out of the top 20. Villanova is another one. You know, is Villanova a good win or, or a bad loss? Which one are they? Yeah. No. Uh, a good win or a bad loss. You know, these are these are teams that you know that we just we just don't know who they are, and it's really creating sort of a massive second group of teams that is going to yield sort of the rest of the playoff field. Um, so we'll we'll see. Yep, we shall see. Um, let's take a look at this game. What were your thoughts on the Duke-Virginia game? I picked Duke to win this game, but I got to be honest with you. Right when I picked it, I felt like I was wrong. <laughs> I, I Is it kind of like when you, like, get a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup and you really wish you got a Snickers? Very similar. Very similar. Um, you know, I just – I felt like Virginia had the scarier offense – a question mark for me was what would happen at the faceoff X? You know, I, I thought, I thought Brian Smith and uh, Jordan Ginder would compete better than they did against Petey LaSala. And I was having a conversation with Garth Apelt, you know, class of 91, whose son plays on the Virginia team about this game the other day or on Sunday morning, I should say. And, you know, the fact that Petey LaSala is having the faceoff success against really high quality teams to the degree that he's winning. I mean, he's kind of winning about 65% plus. If he continues to win those, to win at that rate and they get Michael Smith back, he stops stepping on lacrosse balls on white lines or whatever the hell knocked him out. Michael uh, Krause, you mean? Yeah. I mean, like Virginia could win the national championship. You know, if they're getting the ball enough on offense, they could win the national championship. I, I don't love their defense. I, I don't like their goalie. Frankly, I think that Birkinshaw should be their starting goalie. Um, but the fact is, is that their offense is really, really scary with five really good guys. And 
They got sort of an unstoppable Dodger and Michael Krause that they can use to initiate and create offense against anyone, regardless of who's covering them. They've got, you know, a big outside shooter and Doc's Aiken. As long as they don't give them the ball at the end of the game in close games, they should benefit from three goals a game from him and not necessarily uh, hurt by the poor decisions or poor shot selection, I should say, more specifically down the stretch of these games. You got Matt Moore, who was emerging as a playmaker to form a probably the scariest one-two punch in terms of dodge and dodge and playmaking ability with, with Kraus. I think those two guys would be the top two duo in the country, in my opinion. Um, you know, you got Ian Laviano off ball. I mean, this is a team that if they get the ball enough, they're just a really, really tough team to play against. Um, you know, and, but with that said, Kraus not playing in this game, in my opinion, was, was the primary reason that Duke was able to pull away late and win the game. I think if Kraus plays in this game, I, I, think that, I think that Virginia wins. I do. With, with that kind of face-off success, um, you know, I think they win. I'll tell you what was surprising to see is I thought Kate Van Rapport would have played Matt Moore better. I think Matt Moore beat him for three dodging goals in the first half alone, and I see that when they came out in the second half, it looked like GT Giles Harris was then covering him. And, you know, obviously the second half was, was all Duke. How did you feel like Virginia competed uh, based on the fact that they, they were down, uh, you know, their best player? Well, I think that, you know, we just said, I, I think that Matt Moore was able to dodge and score goals against Kay Van Raphorst, a first-team All-American defense, and, and probably a first-team All-American defender again this year. And the fact that he was able to dodge and score goals sort of fills that role that Michael Krause fills every single week for that team. And I think he was able to do it for a while, but couldn't sustain it the entire game. And, you know, Duke was able to pull away down the stretch, playing some great offense themselves. And I think that they did exploit a part of Virginia's game, which is not that great. And, and that's their defense. I, I, their, their team defense does not impress me at all. Uh, their defensive personnel outside of their long pole doesn't impress me at all, but their offense really impresses me. Yep. If they win face-offs, and they, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the key for this team. All right, so let's uh, take, the, take the conversation to Chapel Hill where Syracuse just continues to be able to find ways to get it done. They looked like they were a little bit dead in the water. I mean, uh, they, in the sense that they went down, like, you know, they gave up six straight goals, down six to two. After, really after this play where Curry uh, put them up, then all of a sudden uh, North Carolina started scoring some goals. Um, but, um, but Syracuse just sticks to their guns and their game plan. Um, they do. I, listen, I, this is a team that's not getting enough credit. Fact is, if they didn't have that opening season loss to Colgate, right, that, that is what's killing them. And it was the first game of the year. But listen, I, I'm somebody that constructs my polls on body of work. So every game matters. And when you play it, doesn't matter for the way that I put together my top 20. I have them ranked fourth this week, and I struggled a little bit with it because of that one Colgate game. You know, they've got five top 20 wins. And again, this is on last week's rankings. They've beaten Army by two, Duke by one, Hopkins by four, Cornell by five, Carolina by three. And the only other team with more top 20 wins is Duke. Duke has six. 
right? Denver, Loyola, Penn, Towson, Notre Dame, and Virginia. And you could almost argue that Duke deserves to be the number one ranked team just based on the fact that they've played nine top 20 teams. Penn State's only played five. Now, they've won 80% of those games. They're four and five in those games, beating Cornell, Penn, Maryland, Ohio State with a lone loss to Yale. So I got no problem saying, okay, if, if they, each team has played five and, and the bottom line is, um, you know, sort of back to the original topic, Syracuse, their body of work has become very, very strong. And they've just been able to seemingly play better and better and better lacrosse as the season has come on. And, you know, this is another team that can go win the national championship. They're another team that, you know, quietly dominates the middle of the field at the faceoff backs. Drake Porter seems to be playing really well in the goal. You know, offensively, who do you load up on? You know, Curry is clearly the biggest concern with the ball in his stick. But Rafis is also scary as a Dodger. You got Trimboli who can score goals. Nate Solomon, who I think is very good at everything, but not great at anything. Except he might be great as a glue guy and having everything come together and seemingly makes the right play at the right time with consistency, even though statistically he might not be a jaw-dropping player. You know, I, I, I recruited him when I was at Dartmouth, and I loved his game, loved him as a kid, loved his family. And he's just a, he's just a winner of a, of a person and a winner of a player. But I don't think anybody would consider him a lead attackman. He's not like Jared Bernhardt. He's not like, uh, you know, Grant Amen. He's, 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 he's not like Michael Krause. He's, he's not like Michael Sowers. He's not in that group of players. He's not. Yeah. But in terms of being a guy that, you know, makes the entire group dangerous, he might be the number one guy in the country in that respect. I mean, listen, the, the bottom line is, is that the kid, the kid, um, the kid plays well and he uses, he uses his skills and he plays tough. And like, yeah, I think he plays tough, he really does. He plays tough. And in Syracuse in general, I mean, I don't know, when I was looking at them, I thought, I thought Carolina played pretty good defense uh, for, for a lot, a great stretch of that game. And I was thinking to myself when they were sort of stuck in the mud there in the first half, I was like, man, you know, they really, I don't know if they, they don't really have a lot of, you know, they're not, no one's creating offense, but, but they've got good, smart lacrosse players, and they're creating offense through team play and you know through ball movement and through smart decisions. And I, I personally think that the Syracuse staff doesn't get enough credit in general for the job they do. They've won five straight regular that's been the case games. Like, that's so. been the case since like 1985. I know. <laughs> it was like ah, you know, they don't do this, they don't do that. I mean, just because. You know, in around 1997, when I was looking for a scouting report of the Syracuse Penn game that uh, they sent me a scouting report, a fax copy of a scouting report of Penn versus Brown with Brown crossed out and Syracuse written in it. <laughs> that sounds like an Econ 111 test that I took. <laughs> <laughs> and I crossed out Duncan McQuaig and put Andy Tower. <laughs> Don't put them into the department, head. Put it in the box. <laughs> so, um, yeah. No, listen, I, I'm with you. You know, I, I one thing that jumps out at me when I watch Syracuse play is they know who they are. You know, Syracuse yeah. 
knows exactly who they are. And then you look at what they've been able to do on the defensive end. And this is a credit to Leland, Leland Rogers is another you know, member of that staff that again, doesn't get enough credit or never got enough credit. Syracuse for a long, long time would just flat out roll the balls out and outscore you. And they had their superstar defensemen along the way. And, you know, Mark Stouffer and Pat McCabe and Rick Beardsley and, you know, all these guys that, you know, were awesome players that would be fun to watch, you know, but we never felt like Syracuse's defensive scheme was something that teams would talk about and try to emulate. They wouldn't. You know, they would kind of use risk-taking defenders to put the ball on the ground and create an unsettled game and outscore you, you know, 18 to 12. That was kind of the way they played for a long, long time. But I think since Leland Rogers has taken over the defensive end of the field, I think this is a team that's become very well organized defensively. And, you know, I still think that they – you know, play that transition game. But I think now there's a greater balance between both ends of the fields. And, and this is a team that can win the national championship. You know, I'm looking at teams that are com complete sort of, and I, I look at Penn State, I look at Duke, I look at, uh, you know, Maryland, I look at Virginia, it, you know, I, 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 this is a team that's right there that could win the national championship. But again, we've said it many, many times throughout our podcast this spring, I think this is perhaps the greatest number of teams that could actually win a national championship in the history of Division I lacrosse. Yeah, I agree with you. Andy, you kind of look like a guy in a witness protection. protection uh, I do that. It's same with Paul Gavano. I, I, I got this look from Mob Wives. I just like the idea of casting shadows <laughs> in the silhouette of my ears in the backdrop of my neighbor's house. Uh, there's just a lot in there for the people. With, with a good imagination. How about Air Force in Richmond with a 14-7 decisive win over Richmond? So blown away by this game. I mean, this, after High Point beat Air Force last week, I thought, okay, you know, this is going to be High Point and Richmond again on a collision course with Jacksonville creating, you know, a scare for sure. They beat High Point and, you know, this is, it's, it's something that is, you know, that, that SOCON conference playoff every year is just, you have no idea who's coming out of it, right? And sure enough, Air Force steps up and beats Richmond and point in a position where, you know, they're going to get the number one seed, in my opinion, if they can just take care of business down the stretch. And, uh, you know, which I think they will. And I think what we're going to see is High Point in a rematch with Jacksonville and Air Force is going to play Richmond again. I think that's, you know, I, I think it sets up well for High Point. Um, but Air Force certainly bounced back. You know, they, they quietly have a record of eight and four. You know, we, we watched this team play over the year and in, in the beginning of the year. And, you know, they lose to Utah in week four. And I think, ah, what a mess. They're going to be terrible. Little did we know that Utah would actually be, you know, a formidable opponent and has really become a, you know, a good team especially in their first year, you can't overstate what they've been able to do. But, you know, you, you look at the other losses for Air Force, it's only Denver, Yale, and High Point. Um, so we shouldn't really be surprised. They beat Jacksonville three weeks ago, 14-7. Then they lose to High Point at High Point. They come back, they play at home, and they beat Richmond 14-7. You know, I don't know where the SOCON Conference playoffs are this year, but everybody better hope they're not at Air Force because it seems like Air Force, when they play at home, is a scary team. No doubt. 
How about this score? 1811 BU over Loyola. Now, I mean, I've really felt that Loyola's defense and goaltending, to be honest with you, is suspect. You know, I think their goalie can be great, but I think he, he can struggle as well. And I think defensively, you know, throughout the course of the season, they've played good defense, but I think that they've also been really uh, physically pushed around a little bit too. Um, and BU coming, scoring 18 goals on Loyola and James Burr putting up Pat Spencer numbers of five and four and Pat Spencer putting up 0 and one. Um, just uh, kind of an interesting, interesting game. Did you get a chance to watch this at all? You got any- I watched it online and I, I, I was shocked to see it developing the way that it did. But let's face it, you know, it was up at BU. Yep. BU got a huge win over Army. Uh, you know, certainly you don't think that they're going to have the horses to slow down Pat Spencer, but they did. He goes 0-1. The question I have is, does the outcome of this game cement Chris Gray as the Patriot League Offensive Player of the Year? It might. It might. You know, um, and I was just really happy for Ryan Poley. He's an unbelievably good coach. He doesn't get enough credit, um, you know, and, and I, I'm not that surprised by the game. Uh, where I am surprised is that Bailey Savio, sure enough, I picked him to dominate faceoffs this week, and he got beaten up at the X. You know, Jake Stover lets in 18 goals, a lot of goals. He still had 16 saves. So they were just pounding Loyola with shots. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and on the other end, McSorley has 14 saves, lets in 11. You know, that's a, that's a better game. You know, he plays a better game than Stover does. But I think that what we found out the last two weeks is that BU is for real. I had them ranked in my top 20 this week for the first time all year. And I had them this week at 15, and deservedly so. With high-quality wins over, you know, Army and Loyal in the last two weeks, they've become somebody that is – it has to be respected. There's just no question about it. The Philocrosophy Podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. There's no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials or register Go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash video right now. So, got a little highlight action here on the uh, Penn State-Michigan game played at Michigan, as you can see. And, and um, Mac O'Keefe puts up 4-1. and one. Dylan Folds, Canadian from uh, Port Coquitlam, BC, 3-3. Three and three. Grant Ament with a, a nice little 1-6. and six. Um, Pretty, pretty pretty business as usual for Penn State. Uh, Michigan's showing improvements, but they seem to be the sixth team in this conference. Yeah, I, I think that we were all feeling good about Michigan coming into the year. And, uh, you know, but I, I think that unfortunately for them, while they've been able to acquire some great talent, I think they had some goaltending issues. Um, you know, and I know that they've made some changes there over the course of the season. I just thought that they would play more competitively this year than they've been able to play. Um, you know, I think we all felt that Penn State was going to be good again, but I don't think any of us were able to foresee Grant Amen having the type of year that he's had. And, you know, along with that success is obviously Penn State has become a team that's 
you know, clearly the top team in the country or, or you know, right there in the top one, two, and not a team that, that's going to probably lose to anybody in the year. It, you know, I, I thought they could have lost four games. Every year we've said Penn State was going to be great. Yeah. And it's like they haven't really overachieved ever. This year they've exceeded expectations. And I don't know if overachieve is fair, but certainly Grant Amen having the year that he's had has allowed them to have that success. You know, I think Maryland, we all felt, was going to be the team to beat the Big Ten again. And I think they got off to a slow start, but they've been also able to slow and steady be able to continue to take care of business. And, um, you know, you look at the three-headed monster of Rutgers, Ohio State, Hopkins. I kind of thought that Michigan would be in that group, and they, they're not. You know, they're outside looking in in that group. And, and, and I thought that this would be a year where they would really – um, you know, start to become more relevant. And unfortunately for them, they haven't been able to do so. Yeah. I, that, it's, it's, uh, listen, um, I, I've long felt that Jeff Tambroni is one, as fine of a coach as there is. And at Cornell, he unseated Princeton. Um, yeah. Jeff Tambroni and Cornell unseated Bill Tierney and Princeton as the dominant force in the Ivy League. And I don't think anybody f- saw that coming or believed that that was going to happen. And, 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 and he was also just chuck it away from winning a national championship in 10 years ago. 10 years ago, 2009, all they had to do was chuck the ball and they win the national championship. Matt Moyer got trail checked. Matt Moyer, yeah, he, did, he could have chucked it. He didn't. Yeah. And, and so the point is, is that this guy can coach, and it took him – it's taken him, what, seven or eight years to really get his culture and, 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 and you know, everything lined up with, with all kinds of, you know – tragedy yeah yeah there's been a lot of bumps in the road on a lot of different levels but the point is it's really hard to win and this guy's as good of a coach so my point back to Michigan is you know they're I went I spent a day with them on my RV trip I I couldn't be more impressed uh with coach Connery his approach uh and his 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 assistants and their um, attention to, to every detail. It's um, their use of technology and their cutting edge sort of level of coaching. It's going to pay off. It's only a matter of time. And it's not easy to build a winning culture. That's the harder part. Rather, teaching the kids how to play, play, you know, coming up with schemes is one thing, but it's the culture of winning that, that you're seeing Penn State, I think, reaping those benefits, you know, with, 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 with this season. And I think Michigan will have that coming down the pike. Yeah, I hope I hope they do for Kevin's sake, and I think they will as well. I think they have the right guy there. I mean, I don't have a I don't have a doubt in my mind that he's the right guy for this program, um, you know. But they've had a brutal stretch here: seven straight losses. Yale, Marquette, Notre Dame, Delaware, Hopkins, Maryland, Penn State. You know, you can kind of live with the losses to Maryland and Penn State, and even Notre Dame and Yale to some degree. But you got to think that Marquette, Delaware, um, you know. Drexel, those are games that you kind of feel like they've got to win those games. You know, they do. Yeah. Um, and they haven't been able to, to do so. And, um, you know, it's got to be rough going to practice every day out there. With that said, you know, if they're able to put it together and beat Rutgers and Ohio State down the stretch, they may be in the mix for the Big Ten tournament. So, you know, as we used to say when I coached at Dartmouth and we were, you know, two and eight, Going into the third week of April, we're still not mathematically eliminated. <laughs> you know, and that's the reality. And as long as that's the case, those those are the key five words. Yeah, the guys have a reason to come to practice and work hard, and 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 it's all right there. You know, there's there's tons of upsets every single week, and 
you know, I'm not so sure that going into this season, if we had said, all right, you know, Michigan beating Rutgers and Ohio State, I don't think we would be saying those are huge upsets. Yep. You know, I, I wouldn't say that at all. I would say those were 50-50 games going into the season. Yep. But the way everything has evolved, I would think now that those would be huge upsets, especially considering that Rutgers and Ohio State are playing for their livelihood as well, and they're much closer to getting there than Michigan is. Well, it's not going to be long before uh, there are six teams that are going to be competing for those four spots. And I think that the Big Ten needs to get a six-team tournament going. I think it's crazy to penalize teams that could be NCAA tournament bound just because they're fifth or sixth in that conference. Just like the ACC is not leaving their fifth team um, out to dry, I think the Big Ten should do that. And, and it would help everybody's RPI and would give them a chance, give people a chance to uh, you know, have a better chance of making the tournament. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Um, Rutgers – um, Maryland last night, the Sunday nightcap. Uh, there's no highlights, unfortunately. I haven't searched for them, so we're not going to be able to check that out. But um, what were your thoughts on that game, KT? You know, the funny thing is, is you and I talked we, – we, we guessed that game too, and I said Rutgers. I guessed Rutgers last week. And I turned it on, and I was, uh, you know, it was 8-3, it was and I was thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe I picked Rutgers, and they're actually going to win this. And then <laughs> – Slowly started to watch it. Slowly was trickling away, trickling away, trickling away. And then sure enough, Maryland goes up and then they choke him out. And that's the end of the game. I was really, really impressed with the way Rutgers played. Certainly disappointed for them in the way that it finished. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but not surprised to see Maryland come back and win the game. It didn't surprise me that much to think that they were able to do that. What did surprise me was the fact that Rutgers won as many faceoffs as they did in the first half. That blows me away because I consider the Maryland group a top five group. And certainly faceoff success is so critical to these teams being able to dictate the tempo of the game. And, and uh, you know, it showed that even Maryland, with all their offensive talent, can fall victim to a lack of possessions like anybody else in the country can. And you know, if teams are able to win face-offs consistently, they're going to be able to change the outcome of these games. So I was really impressed with both teams, impressed with the way Rutgers was able to start out and, and jump all over them, and impressed with Maryland in the way that they didn't lose their composure, continue to stay in the moment, and chip away one possession at a time. And the next thing you know, an 8-3 deficit was a 9-9 tie. And you know when it got to that point that Rutgers was thinking, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And sure enough, Maryland finished it off. Next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. Old Jed's a millionaire. So, um, Holy Cross with a huge win over Colgate. Providence with a 15-8 win over Marquette. Um, some games that aren't necessarily top 20 games. How about High Point just squeaking by Mercer, 17-16. Yeah. Um, and then Delaware with a pretty um, – Pretty solid 13-7 victory over Hofstra. A couple quick thoughts on those before we move into the Axia time Ivy League break. Yeah, I'll, I'll start the high point game. I thought that they would pound Mercer with that said. Um, you know, Mercer's had a rough season, and I think it's clearly a trap game for a high point with yeah. the way that their season has gone. And, you know, look, credit Mercer for coming out and making it a bloodbath, and they almost pulled it off. With that said – you know, Torpin, those guys got the W. At the end of the day, all you got to do is get the W, and they were able to do that. Um, so, but, but, but certainly shocked by the way that that game unfolded. Uh, you know, how about 
and, and again, Delaware is another team. You know, Pete Dean, a good friend of mine in town, is a Delaware grad. Every every week, he kind of peppers me with how come Delaware isn't getting, you know, any, any look in your top twenty. And the fact is, is they don't have any top twenty wins. You know, they played a, a really really light schedule. Now they finished with Towson and UMass, and if Delaware can win and beat Towson and UMass, that's going to give them two top 20 wins, maybe will knock those teams out of the top 20. So they might be their own worst enemy in that respect, you know, but they've, they've played a soft schedule. You know, it's not their fault that Drexel's down, that that Hofstra's down, that, that Michigan hasn't had a great year, uh, you know, but let's face it, you know, you can't, you're, you're only two teams that you played the top 20, Villanova and, and Hopkins are losses. You know, they got pounded by Villanova. They beat Hopkins in a, in a close game at Homewood. But you got to win the games. You know, that's, that's the bottom line. you got to win the games. And they, while they have a great record, I think it's just as much reflective of a soft schedule as it is to them having a good season. I really do. I, I think that that always is the case. And that's why I weigh strength of schedule so much in the way that I put my rankings together. Because if you want a good record, play a soft schedule. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. And, and I, I don't think any coach goes in. Well, I think most coaches go into the season. I think they're counting and they're looking and they're putting their schedule, they're gonna schedule and they're going to say, okay, you know, if we've got nine out of conference games and we've got six conference games, you know, let's just say that we put together five teams that we can beat, four teams that are going to be ideally, you know, top 10 teams. And then we've got our conference play. And I think that's a really smart way to put your schedule together. It kind of puts you on pace if you split your conference games to finish just above 500. And if you win some games that you shouldn't win and you're competitive in league, maybe you have a, a, an unbelievable season, not too dissimilar to the way that high points season has played out for them this year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just, again, it's, they're, they're, any week anybody can win. And, uh, you know, we still got a few weeks of exciting games still left to play. Actually, one more game here to get into before we uh, talk about the uh, the Ivy League. But uh, thoughts on this Army Navy game? Johnny Serdek, I just love his game. I think he's the best defender in the country. You know, I, I think that he is just a terror show. I saw him play Colgate about four weeks ago, and he was just terrorizing their players. <laughs> <laughs> he's so tall. He's so fast. He's got such a sick change of direction. He's got so much range in his stick. It seems like his stick is a foot and a half longer than every other defender's stick out there. Um, and he just seems like, you know, he's almost barking at the players that he's playing against. He makes me, he makes me think of Nicky Polenko. You know, that's the kind of swagger he has. That's the kind of terrorizing mentality he has. He's got similar length. He's got the same sort of energy. And he just is positive that he's going to win the matchup you know not win six out of ten he's going to win 11 out of 10 that's how his mentality is and you can just see the way that he plays and um you know this game in general though it just goes to show you that you, know, you got two great teams what a what an unbelievable game i, I listened to joe Alberici's interview after the game he's just such a first class guy and yes. um you know, you got to hand it to Navy, who's struggled sort of the last three weeks for them to put it together and play, you know, maybe their best game of the season against, you know, their most, uh, you know, the biggest rival, arguably the biggest rival in the sport. 
um, or biggest rivalry in the sport. You know, just critical teams for, for, for laying it all on the line. What a game. I'm so impressed with the way Army has just been able to develop their offense. I mean, um, they, 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 they've got Serdok. They've got, you know, athletes. They've got great defensive scheme. And when I saw them scrimmage Penn State early, it really seemed like they were going to struggle to score. Although I remember then that they had a couple lefties that could rip it like that kid there. But, um, man, they've just, they've just done an unbelievable job. And how about Matt Manown? Timmy Manown was our teammate in, in yes. uh, actually he wasn't your teammate, he was me and, my, me and your brothers. He was your brother's classmate, no, my teammate, the year before you got there. Yeah. He's a physician in Rhode Island, and his, his one son just scored the game winner against Navy, and his other son uh, is Joey Manown at Duke. And so uh, the Manown family, congrats on, on a big weekend to them. And, uh, you know, happy for uh, Coach Alvarisi, um to, to win this game. They, uh, I feel like Navy's won it a couple times in a row here. What, do you know what the stat was on that? This is the first time – I know Navy won the last three. So the, the Army seniors, this is the first time they've beaten Navy. Um, you know, one stat which is kind of telling, or I should say not telling, is I know that Navy crushed Army at the faceoff X, and Ryan Kern had 18 saves in goal for Navy. And, and, and you know, you have that – you dominate those two areas of the game. It's very, very hard to win. And – you know, Army was able to pull off this win, even getting, you know, destroyed in those two areas statistically. Really impressive. How about this leaner right here? Really good. I've never been so low. So low. As this, as this leaner. This is so low. So low. <laughs> <laughs> Feels so good when they go in. It does, doesn't it? Except you don't get to watch it. That's the, no. the only bad thing about leaners is you can't actually watch the ball go in if you're doing it right. The, it's, I think more than euphoric, like every goal you score, it's usually euphoric. Like, yes. I think the first feeling is humor when you score. When you score a leaner? Yeah. First it's humor, then euphoria. Where <laughs> most every other goal is euphoria first. With humor, you know, way, way, way distant. <laughs> humor first on leaners. Always. Um, all right, well, now it's time for the Oxia Time Ivy League report, um, Ivy League review. And um, Oxia Time, it's, it's uh, a company started by John Canaris, played at Penn, graduated in 88, great guy, was a goalie, brought, brought Penn to the Final Four, um, notably dunked on, on the air gate. That was John Canaris. Uh, and that's not, you know, anybody could have gotten dunked on. So don't feel, you know, John should not feel bad about that at all. In fact, don't feel bad about John. Don't feel bad about it. Feel bad about it because it's okay. And you went to the final four and I never made it to the final four. So I really wish I could have gotten dunked on in the final four personally. Uh, but that said, John Canaris, uh, sold his shares at his, uh, at his, at his, uh, corporate in corporate America to start a company called Oxia time. He has two passions in life. One is Penn cross and his, uh, and, and, you know, Outside of family, of course, right? But his two, his two main passions are Oxy, are, are, are Penn Lacrosse and, and, and time pieces. And so he started a company. He basically creates these Swiss watches uh, that are sick. So these, these time pieces are like $5,000 Swiss watches that you can get for around 800 bucks. And they're awesome. And they've got a nice subtle logo of your Ivy League school, and which is why they're sponsoring it. Uh, so you can check it out. They, they sponsor the games at Penn and Princeton. You can check them out. Go to oxiatime.com if you want to check it out. 
Um, and before we get into the games, I want to talk about a little uh, Oxia time Ivy League flashback. I, looking at that Army-Navy game reminded me of, of a bunch of great matchups that we had with Army uh, back when I played. Um, 1986, we played up at Army. It was one of my first games as a freshman. I went and to that game. You went to that game? Yep. And we lost 6-5. But the weird part was is like while we were warming up, all the lights went off on our end. So we had like no lights. And it was like – it was actually kind of cool. I, the coaches were probably pissed. Me, I thought it was kind of neat. You know, it was just a, my first night game in college, and I was all pumped up. And we lose this game 6-5. And then 1987 at Brown, we lose in three overtimes. We had a 9-6 lead with about six minutes left in that game. And we lose a total heartbreaker. So – uh, Billy McComas was our first team All-American defenseman in 1988, and he was your brother's class. And Billy was from Gilman, and he was just a surgeon. I mean, the guy could take the ball away from every, anybody, and he wanted to beat Army so badly. And I just remember we ended up winning that game probably like 15 to 6 or something like that. We handled them. But I remember Billy guarding uh, – I think it was actually right? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yorktown guy. Yorktown, an incredible player. But Billy had him away. He could take it away from anybody. And so it's the ball's on the sideline, and he puts the ball on the ground, and Betsy picks it up. He lets him pick it up. He knocks it to the ground again. It happened maybe one other time, then it's our ball. And I just remember Billy jumping up and down, screaming, you fucking suck. You fucking suck. You fucking suck. And he's just going crazy with his long hair, and he was like such a goof. Um, but uh, he was the most, most mild-mannered guy ever. Totally. Yeah, you know, no doubt. Funniest part about him. Um, it, it, another funny Billy McComas story, actually, is I hadn't seen the guy in like 20 years, and I'm at the convention in um, in Baltimore. I think it was six, seven, eight. Yeah, I don't remember. Nine, ten years, something like this. And I'm going down an escalator, and I just hear like, "Hey, Monroe, you piece <laughs> of shit." I'm like, what? <laughs> it was Billy McComas, and he still had his long hair, but now it's gray. Oh, that's rich. It's awesome. So that was my flashback. What do you got? Uh, You're on the spot. On the spot, huh? Yeah. Quick Ivy League flashback. Maybe to your brother or Billy. I, I got one. Your brother. You okay. Up at Cornell. Hey, Vic, what are you doing in my bed? Up over here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Same night, yeah. Uh, and we were, that was 1990. Or 1990. 90, 90. Next, we're playing in the in the uh, in the playoffs, and we had Cornell the next day, and I'll never forget. It was the road trip up there? Nick and I thought it'd be a good idea to well sneak out of the hotel room and go have a couple of cocktails and watch the playoffs with a friend of his that went to Cornell for the show. We went out there, and didn't didn't. Uh, didn't really play that well the next day, and we ended up losing to Cornell and finished three and three in the league. And I think it was eleven five. Our season ended in that year, and then we ended up going up and playing UMass, and we felt great about them, and we beat them. That was Pseudo and and uh, Scotty Hiller and Mac Levy, and Sal was no longer in that, but Rob Cotignato, They had an awesome attack. They had yeah. Tim Cudan at the faceoff back, so he was you know just like a like a dog, like an energetic dog trying to compete for ground balls against. And we were really lucky. We ended up beating them. And we go to the post-game reception, or I'm sorry, we go to the post-game conference, uh, press conference, right? 
and we're sitting at the table. And now after beating UMass in the first round, we had to go and we had to go up to the dome and play against Gary and Paul Gate. <laughs> I was a sophomore and we were sitting at the, the press conference table. I think it was like Jay McMahon and Dom and myself, and Darren, maybe Pete. And they asked the question, you know, so a great W over uh, UMass today. Uh, you know, you guys now have to go up to Syracuse and play against the dome, uh, play against the gates up at, uh, up in the dome. How do you feel about that? And I said, well, you know, they're definitely the second and third best players in the country right now. But quite frankly, I'm a little sick of hearing about them. <laughs> <laughs> Pat McC and, and I think they put that quote in the Syracuse post standard. And Pat McCabe, who was a buddy of mine who was on that team, was like, those guys were pissed. <laughs> and then sure enough, we go out, we play them. And like in the first, I swear, it was the first 90 seconds of the game, we were down 5-1. Yeah. Gary was, I think, 3-1. And, and Paul was 1-2. and two. Each had, you know, a behind-the-back goal and a behind-the-back feed. And it was just like, <laughs> felt like we were on pace to lose 46-0. Um, but, yep, that's my Ivy League flashback. Love it. That, that, um, Steve Ayers, Steve Snake Ayers was in the goal for that game. And, uh, he got a chance to be like every one of those goals was in, remember the gate video, the secrets yeah. of my success or whatever the secrets are success. Of, my, of our it success. Really, and it was really, could have been titled. Like if you flipped it over in Spanish, it was like the secret to my failure. It was a picture of Steve, Steve Ayers on the cover. It was just like, a full video of him getting scored on it. Like I mean, five it was nonstop, man. I felt bad because he probably had 15 saves in the game. Yeah, he's the sickest goalie ever. But, you know, you can only catch so many shots with chopsticks. But Steve can do it. All right, so how about – let's talk about some games. How about um, Penn putting up – I love this terminology – a half Mesa on Harvard. Yeah. I mean, 26 goals on them. I saw they scored 11 in the fourth quarter. Listen, you know, in, in defense of Penn, what are you supposed to do? You've got these guys that practice all year long. They finally get their opportunities to yeah. play game day. You know, what are you going to do? You're going to tell them to hold the ball and squeeze it so you don't beat them by 13, so you don't beat them by a half Mesa? That's bullshit. I mean, the, the bottom line is, you know, Harvard's responsible for letting that get out of control in the way that it did. It's not Penn's fault. You know, it's, it's I put it on Harvard. You know, it's Division One. It's hyper-competitive college across where everybody's, you know, coaching for a living and coaching for their livelihood and the quality of life for their kids. And, you know, you got a bunch of, listen, nobody ever feels sorry for Harvard. You don't. With the amount of talent they've been able to acquire over the years, I think that there are a lot of people looking at that score and saying, yes. You know, Harvard got crushed, um, you know, and, and I don't mean that as, you know, a swipe at Woj. It's not. I love Woj, but I don't think anybody feels sorry for Harvard. Just like nobody feels sorry for Yale. You're right. It is what it is. And, and, and Penn took it to them. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm surprised by the difference in, the, in, in scoring, but I'm not surprised to see Penn beat them up. Yeah. And then, what, did you watch the Yale-Brown game? I, I watched a lot of that game, and I was really impressed with the way that Brown played. They played really hard. Listen, that, this Brown team, they compete. You know, they, they're, they're, they're young. 
but they play hard, really hard. And I think that, you know, some of the disappointment that they've had record-wise this year is going to help them next year. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that this is a team that's on the rise. I just, I, I like the way that they compete for everything. They're, they don't lay down. You know, they make you beat them. And to Yale's credit, you know, TD Ireland wins 22 out of 28 face-offs. Matt Gaudet, who's simply maybe the least appreciated player in the country. That kid is such a stud. All, all he does is score five or six goals every single time he plays on, what, eight shots? And what I also love about him is how seemingly antagonistic he appears to be after he scores. Like, sometimes he goes over and high-fives the goalie. <laughs> you know, and sometimes he, you know – wants to start a conversation with their group when they huddle up on what went wrong when Matt Goddard caught it inside and scored. Like, I just, I just love that kid. I, I love the way he plays. And I think that he is, again, maybe the most underappreciated attackman in the country. I put him right there with Lindley and Mac O'Keefe as probably the three best Finnish guys out there. Yeah. yeah, he's got like a really uh, he's he's um he's got a kind of a different game than them too. Obviously, being Canadian, you know, he just the way he shoots the ball, his like tw his twister curve balls are just so sick. They get the goalies going in the wrong direction constantly. It's just really really deceptive release. He's so tough and he's so big. And he yeah. just like he just is zero fear. You know, zero fear. You could slash him fifteen times in a row. And he'd be like, didn't hurt, 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 right? All the way through as he just scores goal after goal after goal after goal. They're going to miss him when he graduates. All right, well, how about the Princeton-Dartmouth game? Any comments on that? Not surprised. I mean, I guess if I'm surprised about anything, it's that Princeton only put up 13 on them. I mean, uh, 13 to 4 and – George Christopher, Dartmouth's goalie, played really well. He had 18 saves, um, you know, and, and lets in 13 goals. It's a great game. You know, saving 58%, awesome job. But really, the other story is the other end, which is Eric Peters, the Princeton goalie, had 17 saves and only let in four. You know, 81% in the cage. It's unbelievable. You know, Dartmouth is, uh, is struggling. And, and they got, you know, what, two games left. They played Penn and Brown and – I don't think they're going to win either of them. I think they're going to, I think they're going to get crushed in both of those games as well. So I, I wasn't the least bit surprised by this game. The only, only thing that was surprising is that, you know, Princeton didn't score 16 goals. You know, 13 seems a little low in this game, but credit George Christopher, the Dartmouth goalie, to step in and play a great game. No doubt. All right, Ivy League, uh, Oxia time. Ivy League Player of the Week. For me, it's either coming down to Sam Hanley or Adam Golder. Goldner with six goals each in that game. Uh, I'm going with a tie. Going with a, I'm going with a co-player co of the week. Sam Ham, freshman. And Adam Every soccer mom loves a tie. What? Every soccer mom loves a tie. <laughs> uh, so that's two great choices. You know, for me, um, I've got two guys as well. Um, hard to deny the statistics of both of your picks. Uh, Matt Gaudet is the first one up. He was in the running, you know, finishes five and one against Brown in a, in a you know, a kind of uh, commercial 17 to 12 win. But the one I'm going to go with this week is the one that came out of the game yesterday at South Bend. And that's Chase Erlin 
17 saves for Cornell in goal, almost a must-have game as it relates to their quest to be in the running for an at-large NCAA tourney berth. You know, they, they win the game 11-9 after getting dismantled, destroyed at the face-off X the way that they did, and for him to step up and make 17 saves in a crucial game that was in the rain was the difference in this game. And so I got Chase Ireland as my Oxia Time Player of the Week. Nice. All right, so oxiatime.com is where you can find, uh, look at this array, this collection. They've got tons of different watches. You'll really enjoy it. You can get, get your Ivy League logo uh, uh, subtly and classily stuck into the, in, into the, into the face of this timepiece. Um, it's really sweet. And um, if you use Bruno100 as a coupon code, you can get $100 off. So go to oxiatime.com and uh, check it out. And uh, last thing we're going to do here, uh, AT, is – Check out the calendar, and uh, we'll get your picks for this upcoming week. Great. Ready? Yes. Brown Providence. Brown. Yale. That's going to be a good game, though. Yale Albany. Yeah. Duke Marquette. Duke. Notre Dame, North Carolina. Mm. Um. You know, what's funny is the outcome of this game, Jamie, doesn't determine the, the, who they play the following week, which is weird. So, like, if North Carolina wins this game, then North Carolina gets the two seed, and that puts Syracuse down at the three seed. If Carolina loses this game, they go in at five, and Cuse goes in at two. So, oddly, before you yeah, at four. I'm sorry. Well, no, I, I think at – oh, yeah, at four. I, I think, think they Syracuse either way. Win or lose, they're playing Syracuse. They're right. either going to play a four or five game or wait for that winner. So I, I, both teams need to win this game just for the momentum factor. Um, you know, I, I, I want North Carolina to win, but the reality is I think Charles Leonard is going to cause some problems at the faceoff X for North Carolina. I do think that North Carolina is playing the best defense – since they won the national championship, uh, you know, three, four years ago. And I just don't love who Notre Dame is on the offensive end. And even though they might get the face-off advantage, um, I don't love them in the goal. And I'm starting to love North Carolina in the goal. And yeah. I love North Carolina in terms of, you know, their overall offense. I'm going to go with North Carolina. Nice. I'll be at that game. Uh, Brown Cornell. I got Brown. Delaware Townsend. I Delaware Townsend. You know what? I, I, I'm going to go. I like Delaware's goaltender as one of the best goalies in the country this year. 10 and 2. I think Delaware sticks it to me in my weekly top 20. And I think that they find a way to upset Towson at home and take control of the CAA. I'm going to take Delaware in this game. Lehigh Bucknell. You know, Lehigh coming off a tough loss during the week, last week, shocking. Um, and Bucknell, Bucknell needs this. And Bucknell can get in if they win the last two and Navy loses. And I think Lehigh losing to Robert Morris after kind of getting blown out by Loyola. They came back and they beat St. Bonnie Venture, but that didn't really matter considering how new that program is. Right. Bucknell – they, they, need, they need this game to stay alive. I'm going to go with Bucknell in an upset. 
Maryland, Ohio State, at Ohio State. Tough place to play. Um, you Ohio know, State getting- both, both teams come off of games where they were down, you know, 7-2, 8-2, and show the resiliency to come back. And Ohio State's really turned the corner as a program since they went to the Final Four. I think that they believe, and I think they do belong with the best teams in the country. Um, but Maryland is a tough out. I think you're going to see a team. This is going to be really interesting because you got two awesome face-off guys. Um, you know, I just, I just think that Maryland, with Bernhardt and DeMeo and Winoskis, I, I'm going to take Maryland. Yeah, they have, a, they, have, they have more firepower, but, um, but Ohio State's playing well. And so much of it is just how you're playing. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Harvard, Princeton. Princeton. Penn, Dartmouth. Can they put another half Mesa? <laughs> I can see this game. This Penn's going to win every single faceoff. Um, and I think that they're going to score a ton of goals. I think this is going to be like a, you know, a 19 to three game, like really ugly. I think Sam Hanley is going to go off again. <laughs> he might be the Ivy League player of the year, Jamie. He could be. I think he is, man. I think he's a first-team All-American midi. I really do. I think he is. I think he's a first-team All-American midi. I mean, he's got 43 points from the midfield in whatever. Eight games. And he's a freshman. And they're, they're winning. They're going to win the Ivy League championship. Um, you know, how can he not be? You look at, you look at TD Ireland, he'd be, he'd be a guy that would be the only guy that I think it's not going to be Sowers. He hasn't, this team hasn't done very well. Teed hasn't had a great year statistically. I think Sam Hanley is the Ivy League player of the year and a first team All-American. I do. Um, what was the last time, or if ever, was there an Ivy League player of the year that was uh, as a freshman? Never. Never. Nope. All right, Denver Providence. Um, it's at Denver. Yep. I think Denver wins. Drexel at Hofstra. <sighs> You know, these are two teams that record-wise have had disappointing springs. They have. Hofstra's, you know, shown that they can beat good teams. They've got a win over Lehigh in the beginning of the year. They just beat UMass last week, but they come back and they get, you know, pretty much blown up by Delaware. And then you got Drexel's the other side. You know, Drexel, you know, Volks is, is one of the best coaches in the country. And, you know, they have a win over Villanova. They got a win over Michigan. They just beat Fairfield. But they have some tough losses, too. Um, I, I, in the end, I, I, I'm going to go with uh, Drexel. I'm going to go Volks. That's the battle of high school or battle of college teammates, Volks and Seth. <laughs> Maybe roommates, too. I think roommates, too. Uh, I got a great story about that. But we'll do it for next time. Um, Army hosting Loyola. Wow. Dude, this is big. This is big. This, is, this puts a lot of pressure on Bailey Savio in this game. What a matchup, though. It really is, and it's at Mikey Stadium. Uh, I'm saying Army. I think Army's going to win this game, and I've gone against Loyola a couple times, and I thought Loyola would bounce back and beat BU. It seems like every single time I pick Loyola to win, they lose, and every time I pick them to lose, they win. So uh, I just feel like Johnny Surtick is going to be able to shut down Pat Spencer. I, I think that's going to happen. I think a big part of this game is going to be what happens at the faceoff X. And Bailey Savio – for all intents and purposes, should, should dominate this game. And if he does, that's going to make it really fun to watch as Pat Spencer handles the ball against what I think is the nation's best defender in Johnny Surtick. 
Um, you know, I just think that Army's going to have an easier time scoring on Loyola than Loyola is going to have scoring on Army. And if Bailey Savio doesn't dominate the X and it's, you know, it's in that 45 to 55% range, I think Army finds a way to win this game. I'm going to go with Army in the upset. Holy Cross, Holy Cross at BU. Was that a fake? Did you mime it there? That was good. <laughs> that was muted for a second. Uh, you know what? This is a really interesting game. Holy Cross, that coach, if, if, is he still the interim coach? Because if he is, they better name him the permanent coach because that guy's done an unbelievable yes. good. You know, he, he's, he's got to be. I mean, he's right there among the best coaching jobs in the country this year. No doubt. But they're going to BU, and BU has a really special player, a couple special players. Um, but this is not a game to be taken lightly for BU. And I think BU has lost this game in the past. They may have even lost it last year in this game. In fact, I'm looking it up right now. And in 2018, I think that Holy Cross came back. Oh, no, BU beat them in, in 2018. 17, I think Holy Cross beat them. And they did. Um, this is a game I think the, the Holy Cross team is really – I think they circle this game. You know, yeah. I think they're under the perception that the BU kids are, uh, think they're better than the Holy Cross guys. And Holy Cross is coming off a three, four straight win. Brown, Navy, Lafayette, Colgate. What a run for them. You know, I, I wonder when the last time Holy Cross was six and five or above 500 going into the last two games of the year. And, it's at BU. I think the fact that BU beats Loyola, they may be looking past this game. I'm going to go off the board. I'm going to say Holy Cross finds a way to upset BU at BU. Love it. All right, last, uh, last two picks. Syracuse Navy. Syracuse. Hopkins at Penn State. I'm taking Penn State. They're too good. You know, and, and I, I, you know, to echo your sentiment regarding Jeff, I, I think Jeff is absolutely, you know, one of the very best coaches. He, you know what I love about him? He's so composed. Yes. You know, such a he, – he's so in control, and he seems like he's got so much confidence in his plan and that he has a plan for everything. And he, he hasn't let the, I guess, perceptions that Penn State, you know, hasn't sort of lived up to – expectations since he took over and you know and I think I think anybody that really looks at the sport would would have said they would have expected Penn State to have had more success in the NCAA tournament you know to this point but I think this is the year that Jeff Tambroni sticks it to everybody and gets the last laugh and I'm sure you know it's been frustrating for him at times um, but if they can stay the course and 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 um, you know, stay in the moment. I, I think this is a team that's going to win the national championship this year. This is my, you know, this is who I think is going to win the national championship is Penn State. And I don't think they stumble, um, you know, down the stretch. I think they're going to continue. They're just too good. You know, they're too good. They are. And they got the athletes and they've got the offense. They've got the offensive pieces. They've got the offensive scheme. They've got speed on defense. They've got a sick face-off guy, and they've got a, I think, what's playing a really good goaltender. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think that I'm taking Penn State. I think Penn State wins out, wins the whole thing. AT, once again, awesome to spend time with you. We'll see you uh, later in the week. We've got, uh, for all of you guys 
later on, uh, Andy and I do a game breakdown of the Maryland-Penn State game from a week or two ago. Um, so enjoy that on Thursday afternoon. But, uh, AT, thanks again for everything, and uh, we'll be in touch. All right. That was great. See you, bud. See you, bud. The Phil Lacrosse Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 10-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. To learn more or start getting better today, go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash academy.